enter the world of Holi, Reb Brown, and so many heroes named Steve. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap is filled with insightful reviews about the films made during the decade that gave us big hair, shoulder pads, and yuppies. This book is an excellent guide through the action movies that didn't quite make blockbuster status, or in some cases, any status at all. Written with wit, good humor, a definite fondness, and minimal spoilers, this book is a must-have for film lovers. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap by Daniel R. Budnick is available now at Amazon and McFarland Books. As always, please buy that book. Hey everyone, this is Dan. I'm the host of Adventure Super Train, and this is episode 73. We're talking the short-lived TV show podcast. We cover shows that never got enough love, that went off the air way too soon. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. Today's episode, we are talking Erie, Indiana. We're talking Bourbon Street Beat. We're talking Masquerade. Myself and my friend Amy the Conqueror are talking episode 12 of Erie, Indiana. Mitchell Hadley and myself talking episode 23 of Bourbon Street Beat. And Amanda Reyes and myself discussing episode 5 of Masquerade. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be awesome. We're in our fourth year now because the last episode was the third anniversary. And yeah. Word of warning. In the previous episode, I pointed out that on more than one occasion, I have a new water thing I've been using over the past month or two that has like a screw top and it's metal and it's awesome and it keeps everything cold or, or hot if you need it kept hot. or Actually, I've never put anything hot in it, just cold stuff. And a few times when I was talking to Amy, I forgot to mute myself and you can hear it very clearly. The last episode, I went out of my way to show you how it sounded and mute everything. This episode, on more than one occasion, you might actually hear me open that up and drink from it as my co-hosts are talking. I'm an idiot. I apologize. Uh, if you could point out those moments uh, when I do do that, you're going to win a no prize. You can email me or, or text me. Text me. You, kn- you know my name. Look up the number, baby. All right, come on. Episode 73, we're going to dive right now into Tornado Days, episode 12 of Erie, Indiana. Better weird than dead. Episode 12, Tornado Days, directed by Ken Quapis, Quapis, K-W-A-P-I-S, written by Michael Cassatt, Cassutt, C-A-S-S-U-T-T, aired March 1st, 1992. Every year, a tornado named Old Bob approaches Erie, and every year they have a Tornado Day picnic that appeases him. This year, um, Marshall's sister is sort of the, I don't know what you'd call her, the tornado day sweetie or something like that and they they all get together and they they talk about old bob and and praise old bob dad and old bob doesn't attack them which is awesome marshall and simon however uh refuse to go and they stay home and they start to get hit by old bob uh somewhere in sort of old bob's initial hits on the area which he doesn't normally do uh uh, some sort of strange craft lands in their front yard and it's a meteorologist who's chasing old bob his name is howard played by matt frewer 
and he has been chasing old Bob for a while. He works for NOAA or, or NOAA. Is it NOAA or NOAA? I forget. But it's it's NOAA, and we'll talk about that more as we go. And he's tried to track old Bob previously, and, and Bob killed several of his colleagues, and now he's there to try to, uh, to try to find Bob. And he thinks that Bob is finally going to come to Erie because Marshall and Simon defied him and old Bob is mad. And actually that's what it looks like is happening. Old Bob is approaching the town. The people become very scared and all hide in the world of stuff. They have some weird concepts of what they might do to appease old Bob. And meanwhile, Marshall, uh, Simon, and Howard are trying to figure out the best way to deal with this crazy, possibly sentient, maybe, tornado. That's Tornado Days the basics and uh let us dive right in i got amy the conqueror standing by look out it's tornado day hey everybody this is episode 12 i think right that's right of erie indiana and uh i am here with my co-host the wonderful amy the conqueror how are you amy i'm doing well dan how are you i'm doing okay doing okay so what did you think of tornado days huh let me tell you, um, it was nice to see Matt Frewer. Frewer, that's his name, uh, as the crazy um, yes. uh, Howard Raymer from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, and I, you know what's weird about that um, uh, acronym is that when he first says NOAA and Simon says the Bible guy, which I thought was very funny, um, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. um Simon's getting some nice lines in there. There's one where they're giving him feeding uh, Matt Frewer a sandwich. And Simon just says, would you like some Dijon? And he's, yes, yes, that would be lovely. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so, so and that looked heard, like a good sandwich. I just got to say that it did, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, I like a good, I like a good yeah, sandwich. For some reason, sandwiches on TV, they always look better. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, so I wrote down Noah N O H H, and then when he started to say it, I got halfway through and got completely lost. So I rewound it. It took me four tries to get it down. I don't know why it took took me so many tries to get that down. I kept getting lost. Um, so uh, what did I think of it? What did I think of it? It's great to see Matt Frewer. Um, uh, th- this is um, this is another one of those episodes where Marshall decides that he's not going to do something that the rest of the town does and ends up causing trouble. This time he almost destroys the town, though, whereas last time he just got himself lost in an hour. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I applaud Marshall for uh, sticking by his, his guns there. But in, in a town this weird, uh, maybe every once in a while you should, you know, if they say Tornado Day celebration, stop old Bob, then maybe give it a try. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I guess part of it could be, you know, he, his, fa- his, his sister does look charming and silly at the same time in her big dress um i i think oh um, i loved it <laughs> yeah yeah um, uh i i think uh the I, I like the episode i didn't love it i i thought um even though there's a lot of sort of movement and a lot of things blowing around there kind of isn't much going on it's sort of a guy lands in their front yard tells them about a tornado and then they get taken back up in the tornado. It's it's one of those where, where some of the episodes I watch and think this could have gone on longer. This one I thought could have either had more incident or maybe even gone on a little shorter. I, I didn't dislike it. I got into it easier than the previous episode, Marshall's Theory of Believability. 
and it was fun to watch all kinds of crap getting blown around. Um, but I, I think I, I, I liked it. It's not a favorite. I say it's kind of a middle ground episode for me. What, what did you think of it? Uh, I can agree with that. I am. I like Matt Frewer, but I'm kind of, I've seen him in play the same role so many times that I have a hard time. Like to me, I just kept thinking of Star Trek. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and when yeah. he comes back on the next generation and he's yeah. pretending to be from the future. So that to me seemed like the same character. And I don't know, he kind of had a steampunk thing going on, which I thought was kind of yeah. weird. Maybe yeah. it was just the goggles he was wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like Matt Frewer, but I don't know. This episode didn't particularly, I don't know, grab me. Um, yeah. yeah. The one thing I did notice is that um, when there's a tornado and Marshall's family doesn't seem all that concerned about him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they um, I, like I think. The father has to argue to call, mm-hmm. <laughs> give him a call, see how he's doing. So. Yeah. I thought that was kind of weird. I'm like, they're all very calm for... I know it's a kid's show, but uh-huh. at least make it look a little more urgent. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I guess that, I guess that's part of what it is, because the, the you know, the thing is, yeah, since Marshall didn't do it, old Bob is now coming after the town, sort of, mainly Marshall. Um, but there there isn't... That is like a great-looking sandwich. He's got it right there. Oh, man. Oh, that's a good sandwich. Yeah, it um, is. Some Dijon. Um, uh, I, I think what it is is um, what it is is that there there doesn't there isn't even though there's a, a tornado bearing down in the town for some reason there's no sense of urgency to the episode. Um, yes. And they can yes. you know they can I don't mind them stopping for a sandwich and stuff like that. But even when it gets going and everyone's you know and and Andy has everyone in the world of stuff hiding under. I think they're in the world of stuff, wherever it is they are, hiding under, yeah, yeah, hiding yeah. under, hiding under tables and things like that, and and uh, and they're, you know, and Marshall and, and Manfrew are standing on this watchtower thing, yelling to the, uh, yelling to the tornado. There's up until the end, I guess, when they get sucked into the tornado, and even then, there's a there's a strange lack of um, forward push to the episode mm-hmm. which to me makes it tough to um not not get engaged with because i got engaged with it but it's it's t- tough tough to love because I, I i i like that they stop for the, the comedy and there's some laughs and it's fun um and you get the history of bob and all this other stuff and but but if there's a tornado bearing down there should be more of a sense of urgency or suspense or something and there really isn't. Even when the tornado shows up, it's just it's just like the tornado is there. It's like you know you're waiting for you know uh, I don't know uh, like an insurance salesman to come over. Oh, the doorbell rang. Here he is. You know that kind of thing. It doesn't, ugh, which was disappointing. Uh, uh, um, not not yes. uh, uh, not an episode wrecker or ruiner. Uh, ruiner, um, but um, uh, but <laughs> but it, it it made it so that. Um, unlike the last episode, which I watched several times, I got more out of each time I watched it. This one, I watched it three times because the first time I didn't take notes. Usually I take notes the second time. Uh, and the second time mm-hmm. I was watching it, I found myself not paying attention and I took like three notes. And you know what one of them is? <laughs> 
Dijon, yes. And so, yeah, so yes. <laughs> uh, what, what else do you have with this one? Um, I guess when they were in the world of stuff, hiding out from the tornado, did you happen to catch the, was it the store owner and the cop there, Andy, talking about sacrificing Cindy? <laughs> yes, yes, they did. I was they like, did. wow, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of, and, and, and the fact like, that they, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, because they were trying to appease the tornado, I guess, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm like, did they just say they were going to sacrifice her? <laughs> and of course yeah. it was funny, because they, they look at her and she's like, what? Um, <laughs> and also when Andy slapped the store owner, that was that was pretty funny. Because there was some, you know, urgency with the store owner. He started freaking out a little bit. Yeah. And then Andy slapped him. I keep calling him Andy because I don't know the place yeah. his name. So. I don't know it either. <laughs> <laughs> so. And he is he is doing his best, I think, to um, to be different from Andy. But he still oh, reminds absolutely. me of Andy. He's, he's He does have a different kind. Until there's a moment where, like, um, yeah, the, the sister is talking to him. And he says, don't worry, I'm not afraid of anything or something like that. And then, like, a tree branch smashes through the door and he screams. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I, uh, I, do, I do like the, uh, the concept of the uh, tornado with the voice calling to them. Yes. I think there's yeah. something about that that's um, uh, very um, – I don't know. I, I'm actually rereading right now uh, Peter Straub's Ghost Story. And that's the sort of thing in a in a less silly fashion that might show up in there when all the ghosts are like converging on the town. Um, that's the sort of thing that might show up like and and you hear it like in that you hear sounds on the wind and ghostly voices on the wind. So, um, and and you know having said that, one of the things about the show Green Acres was that they all um, one of the things that show would do is like Oliver and Lisa would have an argument. And then everyone in the town would know about it, and they'd say, well, how, how did you know this? Well, if you put your ear to the wind just right, we can hear everything you're saying. And so all kinds of stuff gets passed on the wind, not just scary voices. Uh, let's see. What else do you have? Let me – Let me. oh, I like I like the um, – that uh, Erie, Indiana's um, sister town is Normal, Illinois, which is an actual town. Yes, yes. I've, I've never been. Wow. Yes, it is. It is. I, and the, the only reason I know that is because um, one of my um, one of my things is that I I, I, I have quite a few um, Genesis bootlegs, Genesis concert bootlegs, and the first show of their 1983-84 tour for their self-titled album, the one with Mama, and that's all on it, begins in Normal, Illinois. That's the first show. And so there's a point where Phil says something like, hey, I bet you're all wondering why we can't start the tour in Normal, Illinois. And I always think, what a weird name for a town. But now I know why it's weird, because of its sister town. There you go. It all makes sense. <laughs> yes. Well, let's see. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, what about that kind of sad, um, the sad uh, story there that uh, Matt Frewer's character tells about, what is it like? Six, seven men went with him into Tornado, and he was the only one that oh, came yeah. out. That kind of. Yep. There were a couple odd it was moments. A downer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple. Yeah, in, a, in an otherwise silly episode. <laughs> yes. I do like the scene where um, 
Marshall's mom and dad are hiding under the table at the World of Stuff, and they have their like chins on the table. And the camera yes. is like it, the camera is like sitting on the table, kind of going back and forth, panning back and forth to their heads. Let's see what else. Again, what they didn't you... seem too concerned when they came home and thought that Marshall had been, you know, taken by the tornado. Taken they were kind of all pretty calm. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> At yeah, the very they... end of the episode, I don't know yeah, if I'm I... spoiling, but <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Marshall doesn't die, um, but he does get taken up into the tornado and and then sort of sort of dropped into it. And the tornado, I think the tornado just wanted to sort of you know put the fear of God in him, as it were. And it just kind of sets him down in a tree. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess that's part of the thing, too, is um, uh, the, the, the great thing about the lost hour is that when Marshall's in the hour, there's a sense of this empty space and these garbage men coming after him, trying to kill him. And no one knows where he is. They, you know, and, and so he has to, you know, he has to get to contact them somehow and get himself out of there before he gets killed. But this, everyone knows where he is and everyone knows what's going on, but nobody's terribly, they don't seem terribly interested. I mean, you know, we, yeah, there is, you know, not, not too concerned. Yeah. You know, his parents are young ish, you know, they can have another kid. Why not? You know, if they lose Marshall, he <laughs> can be a pain in the butt sometimes anyway. So, um, let's see, uh, what else? Do, oh, what about the, um, I did. I, I, I found it. I, I, I liked it. I liked the scene where um, the tornado is about to hit, and Elvis leads everyone in a little bit of "Nearer, My God, to Thee." Yes, <laughs> I did like that too. Yeah, that was lovely. It was I nice don't know to see all... Elvis get a little more screen time. Yes. Yeah, he's getting more and more as the um, the season's going on. Yeah. Which I like, and and yeah. no one's no one's really kind of, you know, saying. Um, Hey, it's Elvis. You know, no one really, uh, no one really says that. Which um, I guess they know. Right. <laughs> I guess they know. Um, uh, let's see. What else do you have in this? I'm gonna scan my notes here. Um, well, the only other thing I noted was a, uh, which will mean nothing to anyone, I'm sure, <laughs> is the uh, Matt Brewer's uh, tornado tornado rider. Yes. It's, there's a band I like called Tornado Rider, and I'm like, I wonder if they got their name from this episode. I'm sure they did not, but that that crossed my mind. Oh, they, they may have. <laughs> what, when when did they when did that band start? Oh, geez. Well, after this show, but they've probably been around at least ten years, if okay. not more. Maybe maybe so. they did. That's the, that's the sort of thing, you know. <laughs> maybe they did. Um, uh, let's see, I. Uh, I'm gonna scan my notes. I think that's about it um, for me on this one, because I, yeah, like, like, like I said, it's um, it's not the best episode. Um, it has its charms, although again, there is something about Marshall's sort of "I'm not going" and uh, da da da, almost destroying the town that makes you go, "Well, come on, Marshall, come on, just go to the uh, picnic." Yeah, just please go to the picnic. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm assuming that... he's going to go the next year. I would, I would bet. I would bet. And if he has to dress in a goofy outfit, he will probably do that. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, I think uh, I think that is all I have. Any, any other words on Tornado Days? No, I think we covered it. Cool. It was neither of our uh, favorite episode. 
So. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely it's it's worth the viewing. It's not it's not to it's it's not the best of times or the worst of times. It's 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 just kind of okay. Although I, the more you look at Matt Frewer's outfit, the more stuff you see on it, uh, which is which I. Yeah. He has a couple uh, of badges and yeah. <laughs> a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, kind of like um, uh, football, um, like shoulder pad kind of things and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, so, Amy, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much. And now we are going on to, oh, yeah, Andy just slapped the World of Stuff guy on the screen right here. And there's Andy. Yep. Good old, good old Andy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, Tornado Days, everybody. I was going, what I was going to say is I was going to try to match the sense of urgency of Tornado Days and talk really slow right here. I'm not going to do that. Let's go to the next segment. Come on. Come on, folks. Bourbon Street Beat Bourbon Street Beat Bourbon Street Beat Starring Richard Long In New Orleans Andrew Duggan This is the blues With Arlene Howell and Van Williams Produced by Warner Brothers Bourbon Street Beat, episode 23, The Missing Queen, March 14, 1960, directed by Paul Heinrich, written by Dorothy B. Hughes, Doris Gilbert, and James P. O'Neill. There's a beauty pageant going on. Melody won it last year. Cal is one of the judges of it this year. Rex was a judge in previous years. There is a gal in the pageant called Donna Lou, Donna Lou Edison, and uh, she's very nice. And we learn one of the sort of rules behind the pageant is uh, the gals can't be married. Donna Lou was married to a sleazeball named Jimmy Joe. Jimmy Joe shows up to blackmail her and sort of burns their divorce papers in front of her, which I guess that means something. Uh, and, uh, and he's really sleazy towards her and she's really worried and trying to figure out what she should do next. And then someone kills Jimmy Joe and Donna Lou runs away. And Cal goes after her to try to catch her and bring her back. Did she kill Jimmy Joe? Did someone else kill Jimmy Joe? Who would that have been? There are lots of other characters. I'm just keeping it simple here. And who's going to win that darn beauty pageant? Mitchell Hadley is standing by, and we are going to talk some Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Okay, folks, before we get into The Missing Queen, can I just say that this episode, I don't know if this is on your episode, Mitchell. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm here with Mitchell Hadley of It's About TV, author of The Electronic Mirror and, and several other wonderful books. And how are you, Mitchell? Hey, Dan. I'm well. How are you? I'm, do I'm doing good. Did your copy of this episode begin with a strange little scene with a cop who's not very convincing talking to Kenny about binoculars? Yes, and I made a note about that. Is this the first time we've ever seen a teaser on this uh, yes. episode, on this and series? The, I think it is. Mean, I think so, yeah. And does that mean that every episode probably had a teaser and they've been edited out from the um, the ones we see here? It would the, be uh, a reasonable conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, now, I, 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 you were talking about, I wanted to go off on a tangent, but the last episode we talked about, we went off on a tangent that was as long as our discussion of the episode, which is okay for Target of Hate, because Target of Hate is one you should watch. Um, the Missing Queen um, might also be one you should watch, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right in. Mitchell, what did you think of The Missing Queen? It was um, a good episode. It's got it's got uh, something that again incorporates the history of the characters in this show. We've got a beauty pageant going on. Um, Cal is one of the judges. Melody is the winner from the previous year, so it it ties into her uh, past history as a beauty queen, and um, it. You have um, Kenny as the dutiful uh, boyfriend uh, sitting there to uh, watch his girl when she's speaking. Uh, you've got um, kind of a, a mystery about the uh, about about a murder. You have some uh, things that are going to make you understand when this show was made it's made in 1960 it's not made in 2010 uh so you're going to understand how the mores and the cultural uh designs and acceptabilities in america have changed over that period of time how they've evolved whether for better or worse you're constantly reminded in this that you're dealing with a time that doesn't exist anymore and i find that interesting just as as the cultural artifact that it's all about uh, chaperones and divorce and uh, having men in your room and things that might seem a little antiquated to people today, but it fits in perfectly with the time and the era that it was made in. Mitchell Hadley, 35, 25, 35. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it is a beauty pageant. <laughs> yes, you have to have yeah, it hey. uh, um, for them. Yes, yes, and, and I, I think, I, like, one of the things I found interesting is is just the um, uh, the the moment where um, so yeah, you, so you get that 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 jackass whose name I forget, I'm forgetting, who was married to Donna Lou. Um, the guy who gets killed, why am I forgetting his name? Bobby, Jimmy Joe. Jimmy Joe? Yes. Was that, was that right? Yeah, I think. All I can think uh, Yes, I think, yes. Oh, All I can think of is, what is it? Jimmy, is it Jimmy, not Jimmy James. What is his name? Jimmy, the, the kid from Jimmy the Boy Wonder, my favorite H.G. Lewis film. Have you seen that one, Mitchell? I don't think I have, no. I recommend it highly. It's, it's about a kid who huh. accidentally stops time. And there, it's a musical. And if you've ever, if folks, if you ever, if you've ever seen an H.G. Lewis film, you're thinking one, a kids' film, and two, a musical. Yes, both of them. And but uh, Jimmy Joe is, yeah, the, just yeah, the super jerk, as I mentioned in the um, in the breakdown. But the th the thing is, yeah, there's this, this sort of thing where it's like you know, um, uh, you know, the, the gals can't be married, but she, uh, Donna Lou is divorced, but. It's just this thing where, well, how are you going to prove it? Well, you know, we got divorced. That's how I'm going to prove it. You know, it's like there are papers. And then he, like, holds up a paper. I got it right here. And he, he lights it on fire. And it and it's like, oh, my gosh, how is she going to prove it? And I thought, 
That is, to me, I guess that feels very 1960, right? I mean, because it's like, yes. I mean, you know, you know, even like, you know, not even like today where you could probably go online and, and check something like that. But but even there would be a point where it would, it would be like you would immediately, it's like in the burning of that certificate, it would become so tough for her to get a replacement that they would trust this guy who's clearly a sleaze over this woman who is mm-hmm. not. Who you know she she'd be like we got we were married we got a divorce four years ago he burnt the paper now why would I burn the paper I wouldn't do anything you know and it's just like and and they believe him you know they would <laughs> over and it's just yeah it's one of those it's one of those like yeah I I guess part of me was thinking it's very much like a um sort of a, a like a mystery thriller conceit that you know how can I get you disqualified and get you disgraced. Oh, I'll burn this piece of paper. But another part of it is too very much 1960, I think. Yeah, I think I think so and and uh, it has its own charms because of that. Uh uh it's it's fun to see Cal dressed in a tuxedo as one of the uh, the judges although I brought this up when uh, when we had watched uh, the episode I asked my wife about this and again I don't want to give away everything but the 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 girl that we've been her slimy ex-husband winds up dead now did she do it well, the, the que- that's a good question, but Cal is tangentially working for her. Uh, he wasn't hired by her, but she is at least one step removed a client, which begs the question, is he putting himself into a conflict of interest judging a pageant where one of the two finalists also happens to be a client? Yes, huh? And if you remember how, if you remember how the the judge, the final decision goes, and I won't spoil that, but what I will say about it is that clearly, depending on how Cal voted uh, for the winner, that could have had a big impact on who the winner wound up being. And it was a good thing. It, it 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 was a good thing that there was not this cattiness between the contestants because I could see that causing a lot of trouble somewhere down the line. Yeah. Well, you know, of course he's going to vote for you. Is you know, he's you're all that he's thinking about all that money you're going to get as the pageant winner is going to pay his fee. <laughs> you know, it's. Yes. Uh, but but that's one of those things I get lost thinking about uh, when I'm watching an episode like <laughs> this. Good. Everybody else is wondering who the who the killer is, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't this a conflict of interest? <laughs> <laughs> it's what makes me so entertaining at parties. Yes, please. <laughs> of course. Of course, and also 35, 23, 35. Well, yeah, you can't beat that. I um yeah I I as far as far as this episode goes I um it's it's interesting because the for the first like twenty minutes or so our our leads are very um 
don't have much to do. Melody gives a little no, speech. No. Kenny's in the scene with the law, the law book where Jimmy Joe takes his binoculars, and Cal is just kind of sitting there. I don't even know if Rex. Rex, I don't think is in it much at all. Is he? No. Is, is this the one where he kind of he kind of like shows up like twenty minutes and more or less goes like, "What did I miss?" And oh, he doesn't say yeah. that. But you, you yeah, know, he you gets know I mean. he well he kind of gets dragged into it. He didn't yes, remember. You remember because he. He's been he's worked this pageant in the past and he couldn't wait oh, yes. to hand it off to Cal. Yes. But he yes, does wind yes. up getting dragged into the middle of it. Yeah, and, and it's nice too, it's because it is one of those episodes where all all the gang has uh something to do in it in mm-hmm. in one respect. Which is which is always nice to see. I mean the last episode more or less they did too. But the last episode everyone was more or less in the in the in the in the sort of the Living room? I don't know. What is that in their office? Where the spirals... St- living room, kitchenette area, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what you'd call it. I, I, and so so this... Um, this, this I, I like the... Um, th- this is one of those episodes uh, of TV where it's sort of... It presents you with kind of like... Okay, this guy's terrible to this per- this woman. This guy dies. <gasps> It's probably that woman, but then immediately it's like maybe it's that woman, and you're like, and then you you keep getting misdirected. Is it Kenny? Mm-hmm. Why would it be Kenny? And then it keeps going over here and keeps going over there, and then and then what it does is it keeps misdirecting you, and it has this weird scene where Donna Lou, I didn't quite figure out the scene where Donna Lou is in the bakery and she pushes. Yes, she doing that. Why is she trying to get arrested? I... Or what is going on? Well, that was it. My my first reaction is, well, is she doing that because it'll create an alibi for her? I couldn't have I uh, couldn't have killed oh. this uh, him. Okay. I was in jail at the time. If if you remember back to the White Heat ripoff that they did here, no, the White <laughs> Heat Heat homage that they did to it, um, that was part of the central part of of that plot oh, yes, was one way yeah. to avoid being convicted of murder is to be in jail on another charge in another state yes okay. and so that yeah, was okay. my first thought well is she staging this to uh, throw right. people off of the trial you know what's funny is i've watched i watched the episode twice in qu- very quick succession that never occurred to me i just thought why the hell is she doing because she mm-hmm. goes up to this bakery she looks around the baker is 15 feet from the window and she puts her hand through the window, and she doesn't hurt her hand. She puts her hand through the glass, and she gets arrested. And that never even – I just thought she's gone nuts. She's gone – but no, that makes complete yeah. sense now. Okay, yeah, I, I, I agree. Except, except of course, it, it makes sense in terms of, of uh, misdirection, but it doesn't make sense if you – if she's innocent, then she does it for no reason at all, unless she's hungry. Yes. And if yeah, I that, were if I were on if I were on the lamb and by the way she got in um when she got off that bus before she breaks into the bakery is that not the coolest streamliner bus design that you've ever seen the whole thing just reeks of motion and it uh, it is Oh, just a wonderful mid-century streamliner type of design. Be that as it may, um, she gets off the bus. She's running away. She's, you know, her ex-husband is dead. The police are going to be after her. And the first thing she can think of is, I'm hungry. 
What? I'm I'm oh. hungry. Let me go into this completely fully lit bakery where um the where the baker is there, and I'm gonna smash the window and load up on carbs to uh, so that I can keep <laughs> running. I. It it only makes sense in in conjunction with it's it with the uh, the red herring, but it doesn't make sense if you're actually looking at it in a rational way. Yeah, it's it's sort of like uh, it's it's one of those things like uh, sticky buns, and then she puts her hands through the glass. You know, sticky buns have driven us all wild mm-hmm. at one point in our life or another. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, that, that that's the sequence. That, I mean, I, I will say this: that that sequence leads to the bit. What is it? Honeysuckle bend. The really lovely scene with Cal yeah. going to talk to this deputy who's just straight out of nowhere, who's or the sheriff, who's I'm the sheriff, and he's just sitting there swatting flies, and it's just it's. Uh-huh. It's 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 weird because like the for the first twenty minutes it's about this sleazy guy and it's about beauty pageants. Then suddenly it veers off into this strange murder mystery, and we're in this small town in the middle of nowhere with the sheriff, and it just keeps going. I think that's the thing I liked about it. After the first twenty mm-hmm. minutes, where I thought it's going going to go on like this for the entire thing, and then suddenly it keeps going into different places, and then like the last five minutes, you're like, "What the heck is happening now?" We're not going to tell you what what it is, but but it's just no. it. I think I, I think the thing I liked it yeah is is it did have a feel of, I, you know, I don't want to say because I think it was only you know what though, I think there were like three people credited with the writing. Maybe it was like I'll take the first third, you take the next third, you t- and I'm going to leave you at a point with the killing, and I'm going to throw <laughs> in this person, and I'm going to leave you at a point here, and you have to get us to the end. It's kind of like um, not not a round robin, but you you know that sort of um, yeah, where you you tell a yes. story and leave a big cliffhanger, and then they have to pick it up from there. Maybe that's what they did. I don't know because the the script credit at the end isn't one that um. Uh, sort of signifies that it's three different, one person writing it, that someone else rewriting it, that someone else rewriting it. It implies that they all write it together because it has commas and A-N-D, which which implies they all wrote it together. So I'd love it if it was just like, they just kept throwing in ideas. How about this? How about this? How about she breaks into a bakery? Why? I don't know. Do you know Mitchell Hadley? He can justify it. Perfect. (laughs) And, you know, it's just... It's it's uh, I like and you know and and you you get to get everyone and I, I'm wondering if because the gang isn't in the gang that's what I'm calling them now they but in the best way hey teen gang they're the because the gang isn't in it for the first twenty minutes that much that can justify bringing them all together more for the rest of it yes. because of shooting schedules and things like that. So, so if if that's why the first twenty minutes doesn't have much of a minute to see them all hanging out together more, I'm in. It's fantastic. Um, now, now having said that, this ain't you know this ain't the best episode of the show, but I think no. it's the the first time I watched it, I was fairly underwhelmed. The second time I watched it, it's one of those where when you know what's coming, I think it's better. Not that anyone yeah. would have seen it. In 1960, a second time, I don't think. Maybe they would have seen it in summer yeah. reruns if they if they had any. But may, um, may if it, and if they did and if they did have any, there's no guarantee that this would have been one of them. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So I I think that this is an episode that that works better when you know where it's going because then you can see how it gets there, and it's I think it's quite good. But 
I, I wish I could come up with another. There, there are thousands of episodes that I could come up with probably off the top of my head. Um, that, but I can't think of a single one right now. But it's just it's one of those episodes where you watch and you go, okay, where are they going? Oh, okay, it's going here. Oh, huh. Hmm. Oh, hey, that was very satisfying. And then you watch it again, and the front of the episode when you were slight, when I when I when you were I, I'm speaking for you know everyone. Yeah, you know, <laughs> when I was the front the front of the episode when I was slightly like, where is this going? Suddenly comes into. Um, sharper focus when you know where it's going and so i and so i i think i yeah this this isn't one of those episodes that i would um show to someone right off the bat but i think it is definitely like it's not an episode after if if i showed someone two or three episodes and they liked it this isn't one i would hide after that point Right. I was going to say the same thing. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't judge the series on it. I wouldn't show it. To, I wouldn't show it to somebody as the first one. But by the end of the series, you're definitely going to be glad it was part of it. You know what? I should. Here's the thing. When we talk about this stuff, sometimes, folks, when I'm when I'm when I'm writing the notes, I think these things. But it's until I say it out loud that I think I should have come up with an example. But there is the way that. Uh, Oh, I, I, I just thought of an example, but if I say the example, it'll give away who the killer is. Ah! Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I, I, maybe I can think of something before the end of this. Um, and maybe it'll be random and you won't know why I said it. Um, but just the way they do, <laughs> the, the way they bring in who the killer is, the killer is, as it should be in a good murder, um, in, the killer's more or less in plain sight. And, Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one of those things where, and I, I don't think, I don't think saying this will ruin it because I think this is the point where you start to realize as the viewer that this person is the killer, but a character becomes more part of the episode in the second half of it. And there's sort of a moment where it's like, huh, okay. Oh, and you're like, oh gosh, ni- nicely done. It kind of surprised me um, because there's yeah. so, so much misdirection in it and uh, and I really wish I had a good example of the way they do this because it's sort of like the character is there in the beginning kind of in the background and then begins to take over not not take over but appear a little bit more and then yeah, become more like, visible yes yes and and there's just a point where where the character is like oh my gosh that and and then that leads to the ending, which is really nice. And I I do have a um, I do have an example, um, oh, but it's not a great example now that I think about it. Uh, gosh, I don't have a good example, folks. I'm sorry. Maybe for the next one, I'll have an example for this example. But I um, yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think this is a good I think this is a good one. I think this is definitely worth watching. I do like the point where Kenny is is he goes to see Melody who who delivers this really awful speech that everyone is in hysterics over which I love um, cuz she's Melody she's gorgeous she's she's yeah. gorgeous she wins beauty contests and she delivers speeches that aren't funny and yet everyone laughs because it's Melody and but but Cal does make fun of her later on for her speech which is a great scene um <laughs> And but but the, I love that the Kenny goes to see her, 
but he has those, his law book with him because he has a test in the morning. And I do love yes. that he's I, – I do love – now, I don't know how far along he is that Kenny has to memorize the definition of larceny. I feel like that might be something you learn fairly early in the I would think law. so. I, uh, but but there is just a great moment where he, well, he yeah. says what larceny is, and then um, J- Jimmy Joe shows up and steals his binoculars, and he's like, and he's like, and he just pauses and says larceny, and then he repeats what it yeah. was, so, <laughs> which is a nice which is a nice gag that comes in the middle of like ten yes. other things happening. Um, well, and you uh, know, so this I, is the last yeah. The last thing I, I have to offer, talking about Melody, there's a, she says something to uh, Kenny that just struck my funny bone, hit my funny bone the right way, where she says, at times I've had doubts about you, but you're going to make a fine man. And oh, yes, I have... You're going to make a fine man kind of quoted here on my page, yes? Yeah. At times I've had doubts about you. And I don't remember if she called him Kenny or Kenneth, like she sometimes does. Yes, but yes. there was there was something so slightly stilted about the way she said it. It was yes. it was just charming. You know? Yes, yes. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's, yeah, it's either her best line ever or her just her weirdest line ever. And you don't know, and who cares, because it's such a great line. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, let me. Ju- I'm just gonna scan my notes one more time. There is. The, am I right in thinking that Donna Lou writes down the where Jimmy Joe is on a notepad, memorizes it, yes. and leaves it there, and a roommate. Okay, I thought her roommate she, was gonna do that. She thing either like. Well, that's it. The thing, that thing with the pencil. But yes, that's what mm-hmm. I thought she was gonna do. But you don't see yep. her do that. And so it's like. Hmm, but I, yeah, I kind of I, assumed that might have been what she did. But I and they may have simply been assuming you would assume that. Yeah. Okay. So I th- I think that's that's all I have for this one. It's a it's it's definitely it's it's an episode I think that's worth watching. I think it has a nice mystery, and I think like like we said, it kind of goes off like like I said, by time you're two thirds of the way into it, and suddenly you spend like five minutes in Honeysuckle Bend, where the where the where the pace just drops to the floor. And it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, and this, and remembering too that this is this is six, seven months before Andy Griffith's show begins. You know, so this isn't like oh. you know seeing this this guy there sitting there swatting, just doing nothing as a sheriff. Not that Andy did more than that. We love Andy, but but you know, seeing like something like this, this is. Um, I don't know. This is very specifically of some sort of time. I don't know. This is probably you see this more in like exploitation films at the time, like exploitation or something like that. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I I love the way it, it drops down. But then in the end, the last like five six minutes are super suspenseful. Probably well, not super suspenseful, but pretty darn good. And um and there there was and I uh, there's uh, okay. I'm gonna uh, we're gonna sign off. And I'm just going to say something to Mitchell that I would think is spoilery, and then, uh, but you're not going to hear it. So I'm going to sign off. Mitchell, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me at itsabouttv.com, where I blog about classic TV and its relationship to American culture. Thank you, sir. And once again, I will say, Mitchell Hadley, you're a good man, and you're also 35, 25, 
35. The United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me. said that mask I don't know who said this actually um maybe it was Amanda who said it to me um but uh that masquerade is mission impossible meets the love boat this episode is more or less the love boat meets the love boat with some intrigue this episode is Caribbean holiday it aired January 12th 1984 written by Mark Rogers directed by Amanda who's it directed by my other husband John Llewellyn Moxie <laughs> yay the Moxie I'm a widow Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I'm a widow, Dan. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Sad. Oh, I should I should have started this more solemnly. Sol- solemnly? So- yes. You so- should have. To oh, pay God. tribute. So as of, as of this recording, John Lamont Moxie had, has really just passed away in the last couple months. Yes. And I think for anybody who watched TV in the 70s and 80s, especially TV movies, but any kind of episodic TV that was like grand like this, yes. you know John Lamont Moxie's name. And he lived to be 94 wonderful years old but that wasn't long enough for so many of us and so it was really great to see that he had directed this because this is i've watched some things since he's passed away that he's done but i think this is the first tv series i've watched mm. that he's directed an episode of since he's passed away oh yes. uh, lie oh lie uh, the second one <laughs> i lied uh do you wanna, do, i realized you... i watched jessica i watched murder she wrote's jessica behind bars oh what there's there's a women in prison murder yes. she wrote episode. I find that hard to believe, but I yes, find that completely possible. <laughs> wow, I need to watch more murder she wrote. It'll probably be more important. It'll be more important to talk about it in the next episode, actually. Oh, because yes. the next masquerade actually has not to women. be too spoilery. So we'll do it with that then. But yeah, oh. so he did his share of uh, women in prison, and I'll tell you all about it in the next episode. Yes, and yeah, and and I mean to me, Moxie is um, not only did he do Escape one of my all-time favorite TV movies, but the one with Christopher George. But he also did, of course, The Night Stalker, which is out on a beautiful yes. Blu-ray. Uh, it's the Blu-ray that ju- came out last year from Kino Lorber, I think. Um, just yeah, looks, That's right, that's right. It looks like the, 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 um, the shot with the woman who gets killed in the alley at the beginning where she's walking by all the Las Vegas um, stuff looks like candy it looks like various assorted colorful bits of things you could pull off the screen and eat and then get cavities but it looks absolutely gorgeous and when um larry linville and the other two like coroners lean in and look at us around the opening credits it's like you can just you're looking through their pores into their minds that's how good it looks yuck 
Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I just gross. I just grossed myself out a little bit right there. So let me get to the description of Caribbean holiday or Caribbean holiday. Um, I um, uh, however you want to say it, because you know how does Billy Ocean say it? He says Caribbean, Caribbean queen, queen, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I'll do Caribbean holiday. Or does he say Caribbean? No, he says Caribbean. It's Caribbean queen, da da da, thingy with the stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, so this is. And, and the funny thing about this episode is that I have actually been on a Caribbean holiday on a cruise. So oh. I recognize everywhere they went and everything that happens in this episode is what happened to me and, and, you know, my wife's family when we went. I'm kidding, of course. We mostly ate at buffets, but it was great anyways. Uh, there were no mercenaries, as far as I know, on our cruise. So Boring. This, but yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So this episode be, uh, begins with... Um, a gentleman named Robert Anderson, played by William Smith, um, and he is—he used to work for the NIA. He used to work for Lavender, but now he is a traitor. He's a treason, treasonous, traitory traitor who works with mercenaries all over the world doing junk. We first see him in France, uh, strangling a woman and getting away from the cops. And what we learn here, and as with all the Masquerade episodes, I am probably going to get lost somewhere in this description of the episode but bear with me what we learn um with is it sandy danny and lavender in their limo we learn that uh anderson is helping a no gen- it's no it's, i i got it i got it casey. casey why did i say sandy <laughs> i know I, I don't know but even i know it's casey okay i got that so wrong uh, so it's <laughs> Casey, Danny, and Lavender are in the uh, the limo. They're driving along, and they learn that Robert Anderson is currently working for a um, uh, a gentleman who used to be the dictator of Saint Julian in in the Caribbean. Caribbean. Uh, he was overthrown, and a democratic government was put in. This being the uh, first half of the eighties, um, the moment we find out that dictatory type stuff is coming back, we go down there and take care of it. So. Anderson and um, a South African named like Major Volker and San Fuego, who's the who yeah who's the the dictator, have tons of guns in the hold on the Caribbean Holiday, which is a cruise ship which William Smith and all these other guys are on, and they got a host of mercenaries, including Nicholas Worth, and they are going to stop at San Julian and basically take over the ship guided to a port where they are going to take back St. Julian through the help of tons of guns, lots of mercenaries, and people on the inside, as it were. So the mission for Masquerade is to not only stop this revolution, but capture Anderson and bring him back to the U.S. to stand trial. And what they do is, the people they call in, Let's see, I have all the names here, but not really. Oh, I have a gentleman named, I believe, John Merrick, who has some kind of store, maybe a, maybe a gun store. I could be wrong. Not the Elephant Man. Not the Elephant Man. Not that's, the Elephant Man. Yeah, Isn't I got he... you. <laughs> He's very, that's a very specialized case, and they bring in the Elephant Man. So, yes. Christopher Conley, my, you know, that's interesting that you say gun store, because it has to have been, but for some reason I thought he owned an auto body shop, which makes no sense, because he created... What they call, not to step on your plot no, line, but they please. created the nitron, the nitrate sniffer, right? Yes. That sniffs out certain types of weaponry, mm-hmm. and and which so they need him on the ship, 
um, to sniff out certain types of weaponry. Yes, and I like that you almost said like the nitron sniffer. I, I that that sounds even more fun. I love yeah. to see that. <laughs> Wait, is it like the neutron dance? It's, it's just not the neutron <laughs> dance. The neutron dance by the Pointer uh, Sisters. So 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 he is brought on, and his wife is there too, and she keeps kind of getting sick on the trip. But his job is, go- and this is a tricky episode because more so than the others, I think <laughs> the 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 things that the people are doing are so specific that I'm pretty much spoiling things <laughs> uh, right away by well, telling you what the... Maybe not, but I'll... Tr- I mean, we're probably going to spoil it anyways. Here, The good guys win. There, I spoiled it. But so, John Merrick, the plan with John is that he and Greg Evigan are going to go into the hold and find the crates that have the uh, weaponry and sabotage it. That's his thing. Then there's another couple, the Carsons, Jolene and Ted. Jolene, Jolene. Um, and Jolene and Ted. Oh, I love own, that song. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, they own a gym, and they are brought in to sabotage a piece of weightlifting equipment. We'll tell you why so, later. Oh, guess, unless you want to tell them why now. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about it. Yeah, well, I won't tell them why now, but like, supposedly they own like the number one gym in the country. But, but when we get there, we're going to talk about why... They really yes. I don't understand. That's what I'm gonna say. I yes yeah yeah um and then they also they bring in two more people um a Dr. Kenneth Hanson Hanson and he is going to be Hansen. related to handsome Dr. Kenneth Hanson. Hmm. Oh doctor. A doctor, little. Doctor Handsome. You know what? I I think I've said this before. The man who removed my wisdom teeth in my freshman year of college was named Dr. Loveless. He was a nice guy, but the name worried Aww. me. Yeah, he, he was he was a good guy. I think he was doing okay. And I will say that um, Dr. Han- Hanson, Hanson Hanson, is played by Jim McMullen, who was uh, John Moore, the star of Beyond Westworld, which we covered on this show oh. a long time ago. That was that was the second show we finished on Eventually Super Train, and frequent commenter commenter yes commenter commentator commenter on the Eventually Super Train uh, website Mike Doran would kill me if I didn't mention that Mr. McMullen passed away about a month ago at the age of eighty something. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yes, he passed away on May thirty first. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, and he was like he was in his eighties, I believe. And if I got that wrong, Mike, don't be mad. Well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so, but, of course he was in his eighties. Yeah, yeah, and so, but he was the star of the the strangely inconclusive series Beyond Westworld, the first Westworld TV show. Um, and so he is brought in to do a specific. He's a doctor. He takes over the position of doctor on the ship to do something very specific. And then the final person they bring on is Joan Drexel, world famous real estate agent. Now. <laughs> now okay yes so nowadays <laughs> nowadays you might be able to pull that off with all the realty shows like bravo has like million dollar listing you know and all the all the 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 people on the los angeles show and the um you know the guys on the um on the new york show like um frederick and ryan i uh, guess i've transcribed quite a bit of these shows you know and some of these shows you lewis um, you you might call some of them famous. I don't know if world famous, but but yeah. So Joan Drexel is a world famous real estate agent, and she is brought on to be Lavender's gal pal on the on the um, 
uh, on the on the cruise and kind of ingratiate herself into the world of Robert Anderson because once Anderson knows that Lavender is there and they're on the high seas so Lavender can't do anything and Lavender and Anderson sees Joan Anderson is like immediately like hey you're my kind of gal yeah you're mm, yeah kind of thing and so she's going to ingratiate herself into his life and the the plan is to like i said um ruin the revolution and um make much like the first episode the pilot they're trying to yes. make Anderson yes. look yes look like he's betraying them and i'm not going to give all the stuff no, away no, that they're no, doing no. here or they're just trying to make him look stupid I, th- I thought, well, he, he says, Lavender says, because I took a note on it, we're going to try to convince Sanfuego that by the end of the cruise that Anderson is is betraying them in some fashion. They also make him look stupid. Yeah, I know, but they just make him look stupid, just like in the first one. They're like, oh, because yes, exactly. in the first one, remember, they had the Russian guy, and they're like, oh, he came in last night because he got an impersonator <laughs> with his vodka and his women, and he yes. made a nuisance of himself. And then they oh, were yes. like, they were like, comment, how, what do we say to the, the Russian version of officer? We thought <laughs> you were serious about your job. And he yeah. was like, but I am. That must be an imposter. No, no, on? no. Here's a picture of you with your wine and your women. And that's how they, they fucking took him down. <laughs> and, well, and this is kind of the same thing, but there's also the revolution that they have to stop. Whereas in the other one, it was just oh, taking... It's so the, different. It's so different. It's so crazy. <laughs> well, and, and I guess one of the other things that makes it slightly different is that <laughs> Lavender has a personal stake in this. And he actually uses himself being there to assist in the betrayal or the, the making... Anderson looks stupid. Although, may I just say that the first... I watched this three times um, for this. Why? I'm not sure. I think one was probably enough, but I always watch it twice. But the thing with it is that when Rod Taylor says Anderson's name the first time, we are following the limo, and he begins to say the name, and then we cut to interior of the limo, shot of William Smith on a screen. And I thought the first two times he says... Robert M. Traitor, uh, or something like that. And it wasn't until later that I realized he's saying Robert, because later on they say, and Anderson does this. And I thought, who the hell is Anderson? I wrote down Robert M. For some reason, he says the name Anderson like on a cut when you hear the limo going, and it sounds like, and maybe it's just my terrible copy taped off of television in 1984, but it sounds like he's saying Robert M., I thought, is this like, is this going to be the Kafka episode of Masquerade? Why, why doesn't he get a last name? But he did. <laughs> so, um, so I, I guess I'll kind of stop there. Th- those are the basics. We're going to spoil more of it. I don't. Th- that's the very basic. Um, make Robert Anderson look like an idiot and look like he's betraying this um, mercenary cause, and then also stop the invasion of Saint Saint Julian by uh, San Fuego and his people. Uh, so, Amanda, what did you think of Caribbean Caribbean Queen uh, Holiday? I liked it a lot. And now, it, it's ridiculous. But <laughs> I like the cast an awful lot, especially William Smith. And you put William Smith in anything and just stand back and just let me watch it because he's great. He he has a lot of energy. He's fun. He's handsome in a scary way as he got older. But um, he's great fun to watch. And um, it's 
not the ninja episode by any stretch, but I think it's really fun. It's fairly easy to follow. Um, it didn't, I think we were talking about the last one was the one with the hitman chasing Sasha the Russian or whatever. Yes, yeah. And I, I think that that one got kind of lost in the shuffle. And not that any of these have really standout stories, but I think this one's fairly linear and it makes more sense to me. And also I think it's sort of enjoyable. It's not taking itself too seriously again. Um, it's not as jokey as the Ninja episode, but it's, I think it's having a little bit more fun and it's letting Lavender be sort of a stud with the <laughs> real estate agent, which was fun, you know, cause it's Rod Taylor and he's amazing. And, um, and it's got, like I said, it, so the horror cred on this cast is really good. Cause we have William Smith, of course, from what grave of the vampire in yes. the Memorial Valley massacre and like 10,000 other movies. And Anterkel, I know actually best from that movie, the fear. Do you remember that from the nineties, that direct video movie about the, uh, giant wooden doll. Yes. Yes. Yep. Do you yep, know? Yep. Yeah. 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 She's yeah. the. She's in that, and I think her son wants to sleep with her. Do you remember she has this son, who's like this really white guy that's like super into rap, and the so so just briefly because it's so fascinating, but we won't get stuck <laughs> on it. The fear is about a guy who's like a psychiatrist or psychologist, and he has a meeting like at a cabin out in the middle of nowhere of all of his patients, so they have like a big group therapy session. But there's this wooden doll at the cabin that comes to life and whatever stuff happens. And so Anterkel has a pretty good filmography, but for some reason, whenever I see her, I always think of the fear. That's all I can think about when I watch that because it, the fear is that is the kind of movie where you kind of don't like it, but then you feel like you have to watch it every few years anyway. <laughs> yes, and then you yeah. watch it and you say, why, why am I rewatching this? And then you're like, I'm not going to watch it again. And then, but you keep your copy. Yes. Yep. Because, you know, in like three more years, you're going to want to see it again. It's just a weird oddity. It's got a great premise and, and whatever. So anyway, I know her from that. And of course, Christopher Conley was in Manhattan Baby and probably 10,000 other things. Yeah. I don't know if John McCook ever made a horror movie, but he's on Bold and the Beautiful. And that's and he's oh. married to Loretta Spang. And so that's kind of mm -hmm. that's all I need. But anyway, so it's got a really game cast. It's um, got a fairly easy to follow story. Um, it's got some fun trickery in it. Like you were saying, Lavender puts himself on the line and there's a scene where he actually gets shot. Yes. And yeah. it was pretty cool the way they did it. It's very much just like matter of fact, mm. you know, like he just pulls out the gun and shoots him. There's not this whole like back and forth between the two. I don't think, um, leading up to him getting shot. And so like, it's got a little bit of suspense. I think John Moxie did a good job. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe I'm biased because I love him so much, but even without recognizing until this very moment, when I'm talking about that he had actually directed, I think he injected something into it yes. that made it a little bit more energetic and maybe easier to follow and stylish because that's what he does. Um, so this is probably my second favorite episode actually of the series so far. Huh? Mm, yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm having a tough time remembering the other episodes, but I, I would think I probably am with you <laughs> on that. I think I, I think I love about this, like I said at the start, this is kind of a love boat episode in some ways because the the couple with the from the gym mm. they only do one thing sabotage a weightlifting machine. But really there's yes. this there's this side plot line about um thank you thank you for helping me out. Well, you know, I I was going to leave you, but they arrived and uh, offered us this job, and, you know, I'm here. Yeah, I know, I, and I'm sorry. Well, you know, it's a nice vacation. Maybe we should have gone on more vacations. <sighs> Maybe. 
And it kind of go, it becomes this um, there, there's this little kind of very love boat style romance that goes on between this couple as they're also doing the things they do because I mean they they sabotage the weightlifting thing, but they also like they have to be around. So, so sort of like Anderson sees them and sees like the 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 guy was like a almost a pro football guy and he knows who he is and so when he sees him like using this weightlifting machine he's like I can do better than that I'm William Smith and yeah probably you could do better than ninety five percent of us you know and and he and and so so they're they're kind of there but the main thing they do is sabotage that thing and spoiler get back together in the end hooray uh, you know he, yeah. but it's it's so funny it's so funny that they they're on there just to like shave down a wire on this machine because anybody could have done that and they didn't need the foremost gym owners of America There's, to shave down a wire you, yeah you, the the only thing that justified it for me was that um like at the very beginning of the pilot when lavender says why he's doing this it's that everyone we have it is immediately compromised. Now, why uh, Danny and Casey? Is it Casey? Did I get that wrong again? Yes. Um, why, no. da- why Danny and Casey aren't um, compromised? I don't know. But um, uh, but but so so to me, um, maybe that was like. I mean, maybe that's a that's a thing. Um, you know, I. And, and this this is just a, a tangent for thirty seconds. But as I'm writing my Henning verse book, one of the thing I find with the Beverly Hillbillies is that Granny, a lot of times, is told what's happening. She's told, "Hey, this man—they call him a frog man. That doesn't mean he's half frog, half man. He's in the Navy, and he does this and that." But Granny never accepts it. And so what happens in my mind is Granny is so bored living in this huge mansion that she just wants to have a good time. So she's overcomplicating everything, which creates the farce. So to me, something like hiring on this couple rather than just having Danny or or, or Casey go in there and cut the wire is Lavender just having fun. You know, he's like, let's have some fun. You know, we have the budget. Why not use it? Let's find a couple who run a gym. (laughs) Yeah, why not have fun with it? Yeah. Well, well, the one thing that makes it sort of worthwhile to me is that John McCook uses the machine before William Smith gets on it, so he needs to know exactly how to lift it so he doesn't break the wire himself. So, so there is a little expertise that has to yes, come into yes. using it, but I don't think you needed the foremost gym owner in the world to come <laughs> and like shave down your wire and lift thirty pounds, right? Yes, so, yes. like, so like. It, it was it was strange to me that they even were there, and I totally forgot that Doctor Kenneth Hansen was even on the thing because you only see him for like two minutes and yes. sort of towards the end. Yes, it's it's a, it's a, it's unlike the other episodes, especially the the first couple, which are very much like traveling around the country assembling people. This one is sort of like. We're already on the plane. Everybody's assembled. Here's what yes. they're going to do, and it's it's kind of almost like. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like Mark Rogers wrote the script with just the main three characters doing everything. And then Glenn A. Larson leaned into the office and said, oh, Mark, here's the premise of the show. And he was like, oh, crap. Okay. And he began to create these characters. And um, 
Yeah, who, John Merrick. I just saw The Elephant Man on TV last night. I'm going to have a character named John Merrick. I just watched Johnny Carson last night. I'm going to have a Carson. I'm going to have two Carsons because he's married. That's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to make a real estate agent, and I'm going to name her after a college Drexel. <laughs> That's the best I can do for Andrew Kell. I really like Andrew Kell, but can't, I was just going to say I really like Andrew Kell, but the thing about this episode that, like, off-centers it for me is that she gets beat up pretty bad and then acts like nothing happened yes yes the um there there is a scene at the end when they're knee-deep in the espionage portion of it where they believe that um uh, anderson seems to be ripping them off and they believe it might have something to do with lavender and joan so they bring joan in and slap her around and um I know dictators aren't known for being nice people, um, so I, I guess I can see why he did that. But it's also sort of thing where it's like I, I don't see a moment where Lavender says when she says I'm a little I'm a little scared. He doesn't say don't worry you'll get slapped twice maybe three times. Just when when he goes to hit your face just move your head with the slap then it won't hit you. You know he doesn't do anything like that. She actually gets like slapped and it's um it's a little. Much, I guess, a year's salary. If she's the top real estate agent in the world, that's probably oh, a pretty good salary. That's probably more than Steve Garvey makes. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the ninjas would kill to meet Steve Garvey. <laughs> they, they, they probably also killed to meet Joan Drexel. They saw her on the co- the cover they of might. some magazine. It's it's great because Joan is one of those characters. Like when you had um like uh, 1950s sci-fi movies where it's like, oh, it's the famous research scientist. Now, there are, I, don't know, I, I guess there are famous research scientists, but you generally don't hear about them. So the famous real estate agent just makes me smile. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's a, she's, she's, a, she's a good sport about getting beat up and then not acting like it mattered. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and, and Lavender gives her a couple kisses and... Um, I guess in the previous episode, it's all okay. okay. In the previous episode, Lavender had that moment where he looked at us and said, it's what, it's what makes the world go around. So I guess in this episode, he's getting a bit of that too. I guess. (laughs) But I guess let's, let's, let's take a minute and talk about uh, Kirstie Alley doing aerobics thoughts. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I'm thinking more about the next episode. Um, but yeah, she's, you know, they got her in for the really important positions here in these jobs to do aerobics, be pretty, <laughs> um, use her body to get attention. Yes. Um, offer sex in exchange for getting somebody to move away from a door. Yes. Um, I was a little, yeah. Do you think, Drinking what do you think liquor she, with yeah. men who are dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is the like. There's a moment where she shows up and she's in a, like a short skirt and like a a top with like you know half boobs exposed. Where I thought I don't know that I've ever seen Kirstie Alley like that. I, I probably have, but um, that's you not have. the way. Oh, she's God, naked in um. She's top. She's topless in Blind Date. Do you remember that? Not Blind Date, oh. the Bruce Willis movie, but the yes the one with um lana clarkson i'm pretty sure she's got a topless scene or something in that because i think when i saw it i was a little shocked okay all right so you maybe I'm... you've probably seen a little bit of kirstie alley she looks okay. good she's beautiful you know oh yeah oh yeah of course but, i um, love her voice yeah yeah but the whole point is is that 
Greg Evigan, Danny, is like, oh, we're going to, like, sneak in here, and we're going to, like, use the nitrate sniffer, and we're going to, like, basically disarm, you know, these mercenaries. And they're like, Chris Daly, do aerobics and um, offer sex. <laughs> sure. For, for, for God and country. I, I, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, uh, uh, as Amanda gets more disenchanted with this episode, I'm going to mention one of my uh, <laughs> favorite moments, which is they discuss the hold of the ship. And a hold of a ship, if this is actually transporting cargo, the holds of ships are enormous. We've all seen Lethal Weapon 2. You've seen the hold of a ship. They're enormous. And... Greg Evigan and and uh, Mr. Merrick walk in, and Mr. Merrick is moving slow because he has the cane and he can't breathe. I'm thinking of another movie. Um, uh, they walk in with the nitrate sniffer, and it's great because they go up to a box. He puts the sniffer to it. No, not in here. Try here. No, not in here. Try here. No, not in here. <sighs> well, it must be one of these. You tried three. Go a little farther along. Come on. Do it, guys. Do it. It's going to be great. Come on. And they do find it. It's it's literally, it's like two boxes down. So, so it's like, they're, it's a, please, put our, put our illegal ammunition, which is being smuggled across um, the ocean, please put that as close to the door as possible. Thank you. They, you know, they don't say it's illegal ammunition, but um, yeah. I do, I do want to say I learned something. So you're saying the ship's hold, which is correct, but I always thought it was the ship's hull, which is a different oh. part of the boat. I just looked yes. it up. <laughs> yes, it is. It is, yeah. I yeah, didn't know because I've never really been on a boat. Mm. Yeah, I was just on the, on, the, on the one time when we took the cruise to Bermuda, and um, that was fun. That was a, it was a, it was a fun cruise. And uh, we, we got bumped up from a really tiny room because we had really sort of hostile, loud neighbors. We got bumped up to like a suite, yeah. which was pretty cool. So, Oh, um, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah, it well, was great. Well, now I was... know when somebody tells me, I say, now I know when someone tells me to go to the hull, I won't go down to the bottom and sit in the cargo hold. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, see it's, yeah, it's, it's time to learn. That's why you listen to Adventure Super Train, so you can learn about ships and Ooh. boats and whatever the heck they're on. Yeah, that's why I watch Masquerade, because I learned so much about espionage mm -hmm. and aerobics and weightlifting machines. I, I actually have it on right here, and um, there is a moment when... Oh, it's um, when John Merrick says, when they're on the plane, John Merrick says... Um, why? Oh no, no. I'm sorry. It's it's Ted Carson, I believe. Why can't you just ar arrest him? And then it cuts to Kirstie Alley, and she says, "Well, we don't have any um, uh, jurisdiction on the high seas." Look at Greg Evigan during that shot. It looks like he's crying. I don't know why that is, but it oh, looks like he's, he's sad. Crying. He wants to arrest him. Yeah, exactly. He wants to arrest yeah. him. It'd be so much easier. And Greg Evigan and William Smith have a line of great faces throughout this episode. So keep focused on them. When when um, William Smith is sitting with Joan and the one of the mercenaries and San Fuego at a table, and she gets a little note that says she has to leave, look at the close-ups of William Smith. He looks like he is, I don't know, he's high or he's, I don't know where he is. But it's great. <laughs> and his mustache, well, like, expands. When, when he sees... Uh... And Turkel's character, Joan, in the gym for the first time, which I love because she's just wearing the outfit she was lounging in, so she didn't change in any kind of workout wear. <laughs> she's wearing, like, a blouse 
and some shorts and probably heels and she's on a bike and he walks over and he's like he doesn't say it like this but he's like you want to see me use the machine baby and she's like yes <laughs> <laughs> and he like goes over and he's like yeah! and he's like look at this I'm using the machine and it's so hilarious because Lavender says at the beginning you know we're going to like use his weakness and his weakness is going to be like a woman who looks like a model right who's very mm-hmm. well to do or whatever and so so um, and the second he sees her it's like Arr! he becomes like this animal and he yes. just he just sees her and he's yes. just like Arr! Arr! you think he's going to hit her over the head and drag her off by her hair and it's kind of amazing to watch <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure William Smith is not like that in real life. He seems like a real gentleman. In fact, yes. he's a poet. I don't know if you knew that. I did. But, um, I did know that. Yeah. He's, he, yeah, he's a very soft heart, but he's really good at playing these like crazy bad guys. And the older he got, the rougher he got look, to looking. You know, because when he was yes. on Laredo, he was very handsome. Yeah. And even though he was really big, yeah. he had a very boy next door thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, but uh, but when he got the mustache and stuff. Um, and a little maturity on him. He he did look like a bad guy, and he relished those bad guy roles. You know, mm-hmm. he was really really good in them. Yeah, L- Laredo, a spinoff from The Virginian, my favorite TV western. And oh, at the I didn't know at that. The, at the uh, yeah, it, I forget. It's like the end of season five or six uh, is the is basically a backdoor pilot for Laredo. Um, there's he's in a uh, few so, action. Oh, oh, he's in the at the end of the eighties. He's in a few action movies, including I want to say I don't have the great book eighties action movies on the cheap nearby, but I believe it's called Hell on the Battleground. It's a David and Ted Pryor film, and he's in that. And by mm. time you get to, by time you get to the late and and he actually recites a poem over the beginning of it. Uh, oh. Over the opening sequence, and um, it's it's sort of like with the prior films. Uh, I, I mean, Ted, uh, David 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 Pryor films. His nuttiest films are Sledgehammer and Deadly Prey. His best film is probably Hell on the Battleground. It's it's really a very good war film, and William Smith is in it, and his voice is. The, I don't mean to sound like Harvey Firestein when I did that right there, yeah. but his 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 voice is very <laughs> deep and and gruff. I mean, like that's. I don't know when he died, um, but that's uh, is he dead? Did I am I jumping the gun? I feel no. like he's passed. No, he's alive. No, please don't. He's the last actually. He's the last living member of the Laredo cast. Okay, all right. So as far as I know, he's alive and well. But uh, when you when you get to the end he of the eighties, yeah, when when you see like Hell on the Battleground and stuff, his voice is super deep, and I apparently can't do that super deep voice, so I'm not going to try it. But um, but yeah, he's, I, this, I have no. some William Smith trivia for you. Please. Okay, so I don't normally use IMDb for factoids, but I was pulling up the Masquerade episode because I like to look at the cast because I can't always remember the names of the characters. And I saw in their trivia section that Caribbean Holiday pays homage to the film Darker Than Amber from 1970, which also featured actors Rod Taylor and William Smith as enemies engaged in a brutal shipboard fight. Wow. I wow. didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, neat, huh? Yeah, that's oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know they knew each other. Yeah, oh, that's that's great. That's I need to go back and watch it again. Actually, I have it playing right here, so I need to I need to look at it as we're we're going here. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wow. Um, I can can I say my favorite line in the and this is related to your um, mistake regarding holds and hulls, and that my favorite line in the episode because I wrote it down here 
is when Kirstie Alley's in her short skirt and she talks to the guard and she says, well, I'm, a tra- I'm supposed to be a travel guide or something and I- I'm lost. And uh, the guard says, well, this is the hold. There's a pause and she says, hold, I like that. I don't know what that line means, <laughs> but she says that, and it's it's guess I guess it's she's she looks great, so it's like I guess it's sexy, but I don't um I I don't even think Mark Rogers knows what that means. Uh, maybe that was an ad lib on the day. No, but, um, he he was so busy he was so busy coming up with names for the characters. Yes, he did what did that. I just watch? What did I just watch? <laughs> oh, the Elephant Man. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> It's what like did I just listen to? Dolly Parton. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um let's see. Let what um should we uh did we do we do I I feel like maybe we could um not spoil this episode or do you think we should? Well, I mean, is it what's left to say? Like I don't think we got all the way to the end. Like I feel like Yeah, but I mean like does it matter? Well, basically uh, yeah, let's yeah. go and spoil it because we already said in the first episode. So basically, like, so so th- it's important to know that he's using the workout machine to like show off his machismo in this competition, and the thing breaks the wire, and they're, he's like, "Oh God, my arm, my arm, my beautiful arm!" And so they <laughs> take him to the doctor's office, and finally, Doctor Kenneth Hansen shows up, and he wakes up. Right? He they they knock him out or something, and he wakes up, and they're like, "Oh my God, we had to put all these pins in your arm. Like, we had to have major surgery on this ship, and we had to do a wire rewire your elbow or something." Something. And so you have to wear this cast and blah, blah, blah. And so uh, this is the only part I remember about the discrediting of him, to be honest. So so at the end, they're like, oh, he was going to sell you out because he was going to do this and that. And so the um, his his um, cohorts were like, yeah, well, do you really have a broken arm, Anderson? Really? And he's like, yes, I do. And so like they said, just like that. Yes, I do. And so they said, okay, well, let's take off this cast then. And they cut off the cast, and his arm is fine because he didn't break it, and they didn't operate on it. And they're like, you made up that you had a broken arm, so you didn't have to do the revolution with us or whatever it was. The, um, aren't they going to take over the ship, right, and do the hostage yeah, thing? T- yeah, and like, or hijack. Hijack, yeah. that's the word. I'm they're sorry, I'm not t- doing this right. And so uh, no, They're going to take over the ship and then uh, take it to a different harbor. Than they were where they were supposed to land, where they have access to people in St. Julian who can help them. Yeah, so they're like, so they're like, so you you just pretended like your arm was broken, so you wouldn't have to do this, and you did this, so you could get out of that, and you're not really involved in what we want to do, are you, Anderson? And he's like, no, I am. They fooled me. They fooled me. It was lavender all the time, and they were like, whatever, and then and then that's it. Yeah. Right. And that kind of how it ends. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, I mean, they, yeah, they, 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 they discover that the all the weapons have been um, sabotaged. Somehow they get more weapons. I forget exactly how that happens. And they end up trying to storm um, the captain, the, 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 not the hull or the hole, the um, place where the steering wheel is. You know, the big ho and a bottle of rum. You know, the big steering wheel with the things on it. They try to storm that. And, but Lavender and the gang, everyone's there with guns, and they catch them. And the ending is basically St. Julian, San Julian is going to take in all you mercenaries, including Nicholas Worth, who didn't do much, but he has one creepy scene where he's following Lavender and Joan. Um, uh, uh, and 
um, St. Julian's going to take you guys in, and the thing with you, Anderson, is that they think you betrayed them. So if you get arrested and go there, they're going to kill you. So why don't you come with us? Because we can have you extradited. Ooh. And he says, sure. Did, and he goes. Did, did he say, Anderson, come spy with me? Did he say oh. it? Um, oh, I wish he did. I wish he did. William Smith makes a lot of fun faces throughout, especially since his mustache is so big. And um, and he's making some fun <laughs> ones. I, I just watched it. He's making some fun ones during that scene. Because like, he's looking at the mercenaries. They're snarling at him. And Lavender, who, who my wife keeps calling Periwinkle. Uh, when I told her about the show and we watched an episode of the show, my wife said, I like Mr. Periwinkle. And I said, no, his name's Lavender. And she said, really? And I said, I think it's like a Pulp Fiction kind of thing, or, 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 or I'm sorry, a Reservoir Dogs kind of thing, or maybe not. I don't know. But um, Ooh, uh, but before Reservoir Dogs. Yes, yes. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how it ends. And, and so Anderson is going to custody into the U.S. All those other jerks are going to San Julian. And, um, and hopefully all those – you know, the weird thing is they say you're being arrested and going to San Julian – Okay, that's fine. But about 30 minutes before that, they say, oh, the police chief is on our side. So that seems like that might be actually a bad idea. Yeah. But, you know, I'll be honest, though. I only got as far as I really hope that Jones Foundation covers up that bruise under her eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the episode ends with um, uh, the episode ends with Lavender making out with um, Joan and uh, and uh, Casey and Danny kind of looking at them with champagne, going, "Yeah." I think the fun thing about all these um, escapades, masquerades, <laughs> is that at the end of every masquerade, they all assemble in a room somewhere and they they get loaded, and that looks They're like fun. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I'm sorry. You do you do know that masquerade is a game that anyone can play? I, I've heard that. I've heard that. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, so I, um, I think that's all I have for this one. Do you have anything else? No, it's a goofy episode, but it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, it, it is the one where they go. There, there is no tour bus in this one. This one has no tour bus, and it has no recruiting. Mm, that's right. Oh, <laughs> oh, it would have been great if it had a tour bus on the on the boat. On the boat. Oh my gosh. Oh, going that, around, <laughs> going around the edge of the boat. Here's the pool. Oh, look, there's the uh, there's a bar. Hey, it's the ocean. Hey, look. Oh, it's the pool again. Hey. Oh, that would have been awesome. Wow, it's so good. It was the best tour I've ever been on, Casey. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. Could you teach me some aerobics? <laughs> Please, and one, and two. I was I never really did aerobics when I was young, but I was like I always loved watching aerobics in. TV shows or well, movies, because sure. because it, it, uh, <laughs> sure. it well sure, um, but it because it always looks like it's all so choreographed. Okay, and three, and two, and one, and now let's go over here, and one, and two. Where are you going? How do you know to go over there? I mean, if that was my well, first time, I get lost, here, wouldn't I? Here's a piece of trivia. So we all know that Death Screams has the Sweetheart Dancers, which is a little dance troupe yes. that do a little number at the beginning of the film, and they're the most brilliant things I've ever seen in a film. But did you know that the choreographed aerobic scene in Death Spa was done by what they called the Death Spa Dancers? 
I did not. I did not. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I need to watch yeah. that spot. So all if I'm... you're really into <laughs> if you're really into aerobics, all I'm saying is I think you should check out Despot. But Killer Workout has the best, um, I think, workout. Yes. Sexy workout scenes in a horror movie. It has the best sexy workout. Like um, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter has those scenes where Feckler is watching the ladies doing their workout in the, in the morgue. But those are specifically meant to be like sexy workout like yeah. things Where, whereas killer work the thing with killer workout though is the music's so good too i mean the uh the oh, night so screams good. yeah the night scream song isn't it like chill out chill out or something like that. i don't I, even I, I, remember I, but i think I, that they're really brilliant i think yes. that they're really really lovely and and they really i really like night screams like i'm i'm actually a big cheerleader of it but yeah, like i love that the filler is as is really fun and actually everything about that movie is fun except for the murder scenes like if that movie had just been those people hanging out it would have <laughs> yes. been great yeah and so awesome. like the sweetheart dancers just yeah just add to it it's just a lot of fun but they stand out in my mind because they're the only except for night train to terror i can't think of another horror movie that came out in that era anyway that has these specific dance numbers in it yeah yeah i think no you're right yeah that's my killer yeah kill i'd love a killer workout soundtrack there's so many good songs oh. on that yes on that. yeah somebody make that yeah. happen we need like we need like if rhino uh, rhino records isn't around anymore are they because it, I don't, I mean, no, I don't think be. so. Because they would be the kind who would do like an '80s um, slasher horror film soundtrack. You know, I'd love to get a Killer Workout soundtrack, and I'd love to get the the theme song for Nightmare Weekend. You are a nightmare, a dirty fantasy. Da-da-da. You can probably find that. Uh, yeah, I. You can, I um, if you can find songs that are over credits, you can probably find them on YouTube because somebody's probably ripped them, and that's how yes. I get them sometimes. I just picked up well last year actually. I picked up the soundtrack to Sex World by Vinegar Syndrome. You know, they made a vinyl copy of the music from the movie, and I think they just ripped mm-hmm. it off the film because I don't know that there's any actual masters or anything. And so it's really good. It's excellent. I, I've never seen the movie, but the um, but there's a scene. Where they, I think it looks, it sounds like, like they're cutting between like sex and then some excitement somewhere else, doing like action scene, not action, not a. There's excitement in sex, but like, sure. and so the music's like sexy music, and it's like do 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 like you know you can tell it's cutting between <laughs> scenes, yeah. and and they're like I was like I don't know if they needed to put that one on there, but um <laughs> but the rest of it's really good. <laughs> I don't think I've encountered that one. I I think the the thing I love about Nightmare Week the Nightmare Weekend song is when it gets near the end and she starts singing. You know, I can't go on anymore. Do 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 do, and she starts going crazy. It suddenly becomes like progressive rock, and it's like the they're just it's just like everyone's rocking and they're playing. And you're like, wow, this is actually pretty great because they don't play the full thing over the opening. It's the closing credits. You get the full. And actually, on the Nightmare Weekend Blu-ray, on the menu, the main menu, they play the entire song, which is pretty kick-ass. I forgot why we're talking about these songs. What what what, what was going on? Um, where um, mask? What? <laughs> there was a reason. I'm not answering because I don't remember. Oh, we talked about Killer Workout, but we were talking about Killer Workout because we were talking about dance Aerobics. numbers. So we were talking yes. about dance numbers. It's really, really better in the next episode. 
Okay. Okay. All of this is so, better in the next episode. <laughs> all right. So so let so let us. Um, I guess let's let's wrap this up. And um, uh, if you don't have anything else, Amanda, um, where can we? Th- this episode, uh, as we're recording it, this episode will go up in about two weeks, mid July. So, Amanda, where can we find you online? Uh, the same place you can always find me. Just Google Made for TV Mayhem. So. It's just easier that way because I have a Facebook page that's made for TV Mayhem, and I, I'm on Twitter as made for TV Mayhem, and my Instagram is made for TV Mayhem. Um, and also, we have a companion podcast to the Made for TV Mayhem blog, which is also made for TV Mayhem.com. And where you can hear Dan and I and our friend Nate talk about some TV movies. Um, and that's it, just made for TV Mayhem. That's all I can. My brain just stopped. I'm sorry. I had a uh, <laughs> vegetarian fish taco for lunch, and I think. <laughs> It stopped all my senses from working. <laughs> okay, well, that's... Uh, I've, I don't even know. This is episode five, right? Of um, Thingy? Thingy. Thingy. Masquerade. Episode five. Yes, episode five, Caribbean Holiday. And um, I will just... Uh, I will end this segment. I think we're ending this episode. On, I'm just going to do it again. Well, this is the hold. Hold. I like that. And that was episode 73. I hope you all enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun episode. Did you enjoy me singing the Nightmare Weekend theme song? She goes pretty high there, and I, I, I can't hit that, those notes anymore. I could when I was um, back in uh, grammar school, when I used to be in the, in the choir, when I went to Catholic school. But I can't now, unfortunately. I have to go, you are a nightmare. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Oh, um, eventually supertrain.blogspot.com is our website. We're on Twitter at at eSuperTrain1. Facebook is just eventually Supertrain. Email me, email me at Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, Slacks, S-L-A-C-K-S, at Yahoo.com. Or or just leave a comment on the website. That would be great. And I think that's good for now. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I also have, if I, I, I don't know if you've been on my feed, but I also have uh, on there right now, I'm doing a One Minute with European Zombies circa 1980. I mean, the... the last third of that which is i think a lot of fun so thanks again everyone for uh, for listening here i'm sorry i just realized i've got bowery bombshell a bowery boys movie playing in the background i forgot to turn down the volume it's it's a sunday morning i'm just i'm easy i'm easy like it you know how that works so that is episode 73 everyone again i hope you enjoyed it and um i have no idea what i'm gonna play next if anything enjoy this or enjoy the sweet, sweet silence. Talk to you next time. <laughs> the subhuman.